This podcast extra is part of your Slate Plus membership. Hello, and welcome to the Slot Plus segment of the Slate Culture Gab Fest. If you're listening to this segment, that means you're a member of Slate Plus. Thank you very much for supporting Slate and the journalism we do, and for listening to these extra segments of the Culture Gab Fest that we produce each week. This week, we are answering another listener question left over from the call in show we did a few weeks ago. This one is from Phil Goldstein in Alexandria, Virginia. My question is, what is the first or best film you can remember that left you with the feeling that your mind has been blown by what you saw? For me, the first was Fight Club and the best is still 2001 A Space Odyssey. But I'm curious for your thoughts. All right. Well, it's Dana's official job to have her mind blown by cinema and to calibrate the exact blownness of her mind (laughs) per film and articulate that on a weekly basis for the readers of (laughs) Slate.com. So we'll start with you. First or best, or first and best. Well, I guess I'll start with first, because the way he phrases it sort of seems like he's interested in both an early one and then a later or more recent one. Um, The boring part is that my early one is the same as one of his, which is 2001 (laughs) A Space Odyssey. But there's a little bit of a story behind it, which it's suddenly occurring to me that I've already told on a podcast before. So if you happen to be a listener to the podcast, The Cinephiliacs, you may have heard the story, but I'll try to tell it differently this time so you won't be bored. Um, I remember, for some reason, going to see 2001 A Space Odyssey on the big screen with my father when I was 10. And I've tried many times to figure out how that came to be. For one thing, why was 2001 A Space Odyssey even playing on big screens when I was 10? That wasn't the 10th anniversary of the movie. It was something like, I don't know when the movie came out, 69, 70. I don't know. For some reason, the situation occurred that it was showing on the big screen and just my father and I, without any other members of my family, went to see it. And and I have this very clear memory of Several moments in the movie, particularly the ending, right, where Keir DeLay, the astronaut, goes to that planet and seems to be aging by himself in a white room. And then the baby fetus floats into the sky and not understanding what was going on, but having this confidence that my father would understand it. And that because he had taken me to the movie, he, of course, would know what it was all about. And I very clearly remember the drive home from the movie and asking him, just asking him questions. What did this mean? What did that mean? And him not knowing either. <laughs> and and what really blew my mind, I think, in that conversation, in that memory, was the idea that there were works of art that even adults didn't understand. You know, that the, I think it was really sort of the first work of art I had seen that deliberately sets out to blow the mind of the viewer and leaves it blown and, and doesn't fill in those holes. And uh, and so it really was a kind of an opening of the mind experience seeing that movie with my dad. I wonder if he remembers it at all or, or what circumstances came about that he took me to it, that I was like a particular cinephile, that I wanted to go see it at 10. I have no idea. Um, but that's a very clear early memory. And a slightly later one, I guess, when I was a teenager or so, I remember coming to New York, which was a very exciting thing for me as a teenager. I think it may have only been my second trip to New York ever. And uh, and sn- sn- sneaking off is not quite the right word, but going off by myself away from my family, going to the Thalia Theater, which no longer exists, this great art house that used to exist on the Upper West Side, and seeing Children of Paradise, the uh, the Marcel Carnet movie from the late 40s, or I guess the, it was filmed during the war, actually, during the, the Second World War, which is this, if you haven't seen Children of Paradise, it's this huge, sprawling, epic story of generations of street entertainers. And it's just this beautifully filmed, kind of at once very theatrical and carnivalesque, but also very cinematic movie. And it was maybe sort of the first time that I started to see how a huge story, a novel-length story, could be told in film and kind of see the scope of what film could do, including, you know, back in the, the days when there were only black and white movies. So that was also a big kind of growth movie for me, Children of Paradise. Awesome. Uh, Steve, can you top those? I definitely can't. 
Mine it's, are much more, much more uh, <laughs> de classe than Dana's. Now, now it's a competition. I mean, I, I, I'll throw three names out there uh, and three kind of different sorts of experience of having one's mind blown by a movie. The first was the totally traditional one, which is going to a big screen when you're still pretty young and impressionable and movies are somewhat new to you and blah, 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 possibilities of the form on and on. For me, that was really Close Encounters more than 2001, in part because 2001 is the ultimate, like, you know, drop a tab, blow your mind movie for which you don't even need to drop the tab. Um, but it's cold. It's very remote. It's highly intellectualized and it's opaque, finally quite opaque. Um, Close Encounters is is quite the opposite. It's it's kind of a sloppy family drama um, superimposed over which is a terrific blockbuster about UFOs. Um, but it's an extraordinary film. It's filled with wonder, pathos, drama. I just think it's, I personally, I think it's the greatest blockbuster ever made in one of the five or maybe 10 greatest American Hollywood movies ever made. I saw it when I was in, I think, seventh grade, um, having a particularly emotionally acute summer with a, a, peer, a new peer group. We all went to see it together, completely floored by the film uh, and love it to this day. Slightly less traditionally, um, I had an experience somewhat like Dana's with um, a, a, a classic French movie, sort of cornerstone of French cinema, which was Rules of the Game. And Rules of the Game is it was directed by by uh, Renoir, and it and, and it's his it's his masterpiece. But beyond that, it's also and I didn't know this when I saw it, but it's the movie that preeminently Truffaut and the other Cahiers de Cinema critics worshipped as an example of authored cinema as they began to. Um, theorize and refine that ideal and then themselves make quote-unquote authored movies. I mean, that movie, almost more than any single movie, I mean, they worshipped Hitchcock. They worshipped a lot of people, but if you had to pick one movie, it was probably Rules of the Game. And it's just, it's it's also a kind of drawing room comedy. It's incredibly funny. Renoir is in it. He's terrific in it. Um, uh, big ensemble cast, a lot of moving parts, beautifully filmed, uh, I mean, really, if you had to make an argument for one movie, you know, you'd name Citizen Kane and Rules of the Game and maybe one or two others. That was a great movie. I didn't. I, and what I loved about all three of these is I didn't know what I was in for. I didn't have some preconceived notion about having my mind blown in any way whatsoever. I had no idea what Rules of the Game was when I went to go see it. And the final one was one night when I was still fairly young, I was sitting at home and uh um, and I had nothing to do, and a movie was coming on PBS, so it was going to be commercial-free. And I, this is sound, going to sound so corny, but it's absolutely true. I said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do this thing that I think intellectuals do, which is I'm going to notice who directed the movie, right? Like, Because that's the thing you do. I mean, I was pretty young, but it, to me, this was like, this was I was self-consciously thought, I'm going to go from being the kind of guy who just watches a movie casually and either likes or doesn't like it, but instead, I'm going to think about who directed this movie, and a name came on the screen that I had never seen or heard before in my entire life, and the name was Howard Hawks, and the movie was His Girl Friday, and I, again, I just, I didn't know Howard Howard Hawks is probably the American director that these Kaye guys, that Truffaut worshipped um, um, more than anybody, uh, and 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 kind of was the cornerstone of their idea that these work for hire Hollywood directors had made movies that we ought to think of as masterpieces, even though they were made in a completely commercial and industrial context. His Girl Friday, for the next ninety minutes, I couldn't believe how delighted I was. I mean, it's it's as verbally 
pyrotechnical uh, as funny. It's Golden Age, Cary Grant, Rosalind Russell. It's a remake of the front page in which they switch the genders of one of the two reporters and place a a romance at the heart of it. Um, It's got wonderfully precocious postmodern moments where the fourth wall is broken. It's just a great movie. I just didn't know a movie could, an old movie could be that fun. And I didn't know that if you learned and, you know, if you memorized the name Howard Hawks and you sought out other movies by him, you were in for a kind of treasury. So anyway. All right, Julia. Um, I, I'm not sure where the bar has been set after that um, <laughs> little discourse, but Sprawling. see if you, see if you can yes see if, see if you can find it first and then clear it <laughs> well i do think finding it is one question here right because what does it mean to have your mind blown by a movie you can have it blown on a couple of different levels oh, so she, I have like she's a, going meta i have a few categories so the thing that first sprang to mind with this question to me was the sense you can have when you see a movie that it alters the way you perceive reality like there's a way in which film can manipulate how you believe the world works that can then make the normal world look strange and different because of how deeply you've been caught up in the vision of the movie that you've gone to. So the the movies that I can think of like that, the first one that came to mind, let's be totally candid here, was actually The Matrix, the first Matrix movie, which I saw at the Patriot Cinema, the $2 cinema in Seekonk, Massachusetts. And... I remember I was the one driving my, you know, college friends Volvo back to our off-campus house afterwards, and I like drove dangerously. Like I felt like the world should operate sped up. Like my I <laughs> in felt, bullet time, you were driving in bullet yeah, time. Yeah, like I felt. I mean, not I didn't drive dangerously on purpose, but I just felt like my sensory perceptions had been altered by the movie, by the way that it was made, and the bullet time, and the cutting together, and the stylishness of it like I felt like I was in a leather trench coat and uh, that the like physics the mechanical physics of the world seemed different when I got out of it and that uh, not so much the story and the is everything fake like I wasn't you know questioning whether I was part of the matrix but just surely the way the the visual storytelling of how they move in that movie and how it looks and feels made me feel like I could move differently too um, so that's, that's a great example. That's one example. And a couple others that fall in that camp for me. I also had that response to Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, which is the wonderful Ang Lee movie that brings this incredibly balletic, stylized, like almost like martial arts crossed with parkour. There are people like sliding down rooftops. It just people moved in this way that I didn't know you could move. Um, and I found that mind-blowing. And similarly, I remember the first Jackie Chan movie I ever saw, I think, was Rumble in the Bronx, I think is what it was called. And I had a similar response of, like, I didn't know people could move like that. So it's kinetic. All of yours have to do with the sense of movement. Well, that's kind of one one category, the kineticness or this being submerged in in that kind of world. Um, The other mind-blowing experience I had was I used to rent uh, movies with my family from video to go. We do a movie, movie night fairly frequently. And we went through a big... Hepburn and and Tracy phase. And I remember still the first one we rented, which we kind of like groaned about because it was like an old movie. Um, But it was uh, Adam's Rib, which is, I think they play lawyers, right? Aren't they? they, I think they're divorced lawyers and they're arguing opposite sides of a divorce case, but they themselves are married or divorced or something. Um, And uh, romance and folly ensues. But it was one of those things that blew my mind by seeming so modern and I, you know, had the, I must have been eight or something or 10, I don't know what. And I, I remember having that kind of child's misconception that the 
the past can't be modern or that the past is fusty and seeing this kind of like sprightly, funny repartee lace thing that seemed totally of a piece with, I don't know, working girl, whatever the other thing we'd rented the weekend before <laughs> um, was, uh, was mind blowing in a different way. It just in, in terms of how to think about the past and, and, you know, I love those movies for many reasons for the performance and the dialogue and their particular chemistry, but um, just the, the, modernity of the past was a thing that's in some ways easier to catch on film than to understand through reading about it. Uh, and then the final one, this is very mundane, but I will share it. Do you guys remember the movie Goonies? <laughs> Goonies was a revelation? No, the movie was the movie was a revelation in a negative way. So, um, I mean, not the movie Goonies, as I recall, is fine. But uh, I remember being ex- – it was the first movie that I remember the marketing for. Like I remember being excited about the idea of Goonies ahead of time and maybe I'd seen like an ad for it somewhere. And I remember there was a poster where the ragtag band of kids – I completely forget the plot of Goonies. It's like kids in Oregon looking for pirate treasure or something. There's Pratt Falls. I don't know. It's all of the kids hanging off a cliff in like a human ladder. Like one kid is at the top of the cliff and then they're all like hanging by the feet down below. And that was like the poster art for Goonies or the newspaper ad art. I used to read the art section of the newspaper. Um, And I remember really puzzling over that image and wondering like how could those kids be that strong to hold each other up and just like really getting very engaged and that scene never happens in the movie. <laughs> you know, it's sort of like the romantic comedy movie where they like stand back to back with their arms crossed. They don't actually do that in the romantic comedy. It's just a promotional <laughs> image, right? But I didn't get that at the time. So I went to the movie and just like it never happened. And I felt my mind was blown by disappointment. Um, and so those are my three mind-blowing cinematic experiences. <laughs> they had to do something with the cut scene of the human ladder. So they took it off the cutting room floor and I, stuck it in a poster. I, like, did it ever happen? I, right. I don't know. I, I think also I was very young and I got scared at one point and, like, left the movie. And then we later bought the tape of Goonies and watched. I watched it again to see if maybe I'd, like, missed it. <laughs> and I really don't think it was in there. <laughs> anyway, if anyone knows what happened to that scene in Goonies, you could really scratch a, like, 30... 30- two-year-old itch. <laughs> if you were one of the children on that human ladder, we want your oral history. <laughs> Probably somebody's done an oral history of Goonies. Like. Anyway. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, yeah. So those are my three kinds. Uh, all right. Well, that was a fun question. May we all have our minds further blown on future cinematic occasions. Thank you so much, Slate Plus members, for supporting Slate and the work we do and for listening to this bonus segment of the Slate Culture Gab Fest. And thank you, Steve and Dana, for joining me. We'll see everybody next week.